0: Welcome to Angry Americans. Ho, ho, ho. Welcome to episode 36. I'm your host, Paul Reikoff. The holidays are finally here. And for many of us, it means it's time to hit the road, to get out there, to see family, to see friends, to see the country, or maybe just a small part of it. But it also means there's holiday cheer building all across America. But there's also much to be angry about. And if you're not angry, you're not paying attention, even this holiday season. you
1: have a video of Prime Minister Trudeau talking about you
2: last night? Well, he's two-faced. And honestly, with Trudeau, he's a nice guy. I, I find him to be a very nice guy. But, you know, the truth is that uh, I called him out on the fact that he's not paying 2%,
1: and I guess he's not very happy about it. I mean, you were there, a couple of you were there, and uh, he's not paying 2%, and he should be paying 2%. It's Canada. They have money. And they should be paying 2%. So I called him out on that, and I'm sure he wasn't happy about it, but that's the way it is.
0: That's our president, our commander-in-chief, talking about the leader of another country, one of our allies, the leader of Canada, one of our greatest allies. He said that while sitting next to another ally, German Chancellor Angela Merkel, who was listening, staring at him like she wanted to sick Conan the Special Operations German Shepherd on him. Trump is at it again. He's out on the road, big time. He's doing rallies here at home, in Louisiana, in Florida, and he's heading out on the road to Hershey, Pennsylvania, and Tyler, Texas. He was in Afghanistan for Thanksgiving, and there in England for NATO, embarrassing us all on the world stage again. Every time President Mayhem leaves his house, bad things happen. This is an actual headline in The Independent a leading news source in the UK. Trump calls Trudeau two-faced, cancels press conference and leaves NATO summit early after video of world leaders laughing at him. That was a real headline on a real news site in my bad English accent, but for all the world to see. Donald Trump out on the road and especially in Europe is like Buddy the Elf hitting New York City. Sunshine and ravioli. Macaroni. If you want the thing you love. You, you did it! Congratulations! World's best cup back. of coffee. Great job, everybody. It's great to meet you. Hi. Now come over here,
2: boy. Sam. And every time it rains, it rains. And
0: don't you know it's He's like that, but much darker. He's not just eating old gum off the sidewalk, playing in traffic, and puking in a garbage can after swirling around a revolving door. It's much less innocent and fun than that, and he has no magical snowball skills. No, as Trump wanders the world, he burns down alliances, supports those who would do us harm, and finds new and creative ways to insult people almost daily. He's more like Bad Santa than like Buddy the Elf. And maybe a darker version of Clark Griswold? Hey,
2: look, kids. There's Big Ben and there's Parliament. There it is, there it is, there it is.
1: I know. I can't seem to get over to the left, honey. I'll try next time. Sorry. We'll get out of this jam in a minute.
0: Just like Clark Griswold, every time Trump goes out on the road, things get bad. But even when he stays at home, things get bad. Or crazy. Or just weird. It was only a week ago that he called a press conference at the White House. At the same time, he was pardoning three convicted or accused war criminals. At the same time, Navy Secretary Richard Spencer resigned in protest because he was unwilling to follow Trump's unethical and maybe illegal orders. It was only about a week ago that all that happened. And Trump held a press conference straight out of a reality TV show to salute his favorite celebrity of the moment. Conan, not Conan the Barbarian, not Conan O'Brien, Conan, the courageous military dog.
2: So this is Conan, right now probably the world's most famous dog. I don't think I have to use the word probably. And Conan is a uh, incredible, it's an incredible story. I learned a lot about this particular type of dog and it's, uh, it's trained that if you open your mouths, you will be attacked. You want to be very, very careful.
0: And like the troops who got yanked into a photo with Trump overseas in Afghanistan on Thanksgiving, Conan didn't really get a vote. He was ordered to be there. He wasn't asked to speak, but he was used as a political prop. And as a testament to his good order and military discipline, Conan looked stoic. Conan didn't even need a muzzle. He didn't bite Trump or Mike Pence, but he looked like he might at one point. So now it appears that Nikki Haley has faded from the headlines for a day or two. So don't be surprised if you hear Trump considering replacing Pence on the VP ticket with Conan. Just like Pence, he'd be a loyal dog. But unlike Pence, he's shown courage in the face of a threat to our nation. This is just the latest example of Trump politicizing our military. Even a dog in the military is being politicized. Don't dismiss it as normal or acceptable or even trivial. Nothing is more popular in politics than babies, puppies, and vets. And Trump gets two out of three with that photo op with Conan the dog. And in the same way, I wasn't surprised to see Trump as quickly weaponizing the pardoned troops for political purposes and considering sending them out on the campaign trail for him. I would not be surprised to see Conan on the campaign trail out on the road with Trump, maybe getting the Medal of Freedom, or maybe hosting a show on Fox News soon. If Conan declared in the Republican primary, he'd definitely be a hit on the road, and no doubt he'd pull ahead of Bill Weld, Joe Walsh, or anyone else out there. But hopefully Conan won't go on the road, because Trump's going to be on the road a lot lately, and that included his surprise visit to Bagram Airfield in Afghanistan on Thanksgiving.
2: You're having a good time, everybody? What are you saying to the We love them. We love them. We say happy Thanksgiving.
0: But Trump's surprise Thanksgiving visit was not, in my opinion, just a president doing the right thing, any more than visiting the Veterans Day parade was. It was a very political move. It got his name on top of the news cycle on a holiday when everyone was on their phone. Maybe you were sitting on the couch watching the football game and all of a sudden Trump's in Afghanistan. Pay no attention to the pardoning of war criminals or the abandonment of the Kurds or the Pentagon money snatched for the wall. The politicization of our military continued and it was mission accomplished for the Trump administration. And along the way, he shared that he's reopened peace talks with the Taliban. Thankfully, he did not invite them to Thanksgiving dinner like he was considering inviting them to Camp David, but he did complain joke in that awkwardly Trump way that he didn't get any turkey.
1: I never got to my turkey. It's the first time in Thanksgiving that I've never had anything
0: <laughs> called turkey, but that's okay. And he did it all in Afghanistan on Thanksgiving with a wall of men and women in uniform behind him. These troops should not be standing behind him in uniform. That's what politicizing our active duty looks like. Now, Obama did it a few times, too, and he was wrong as well. But with Obama, it was rare. With Trump, it's like his go-to political play every time he's on the road. And he didn't have to do it, but he did. And he got the photo op he wanted by using them as a prop. So Trump is on the road, potentially with war criminals, potentially with other political props, and many of us are on the road too. And in this episode, we interrupt the madness of his travel and ours, the impeachment hearings, the 2020 fighting, the collapse of the Arena Football League, and all the other madness for a conversation with one of the most thoughtful, earnest, experienced people that I know. A man who's been traveling all across this country for decades exploring america telling our stories revealing our heart teaching us our past and inspiring our future harry smith is a media legend and a road warrior the inspiring and beloved journalist has been a fixture in our living rooms all across america for decades he's been at NBC since 2011 and before that for 17 years at cbs leading CBS This Morning and its predecessor, The Early Show. Harry is a trusted voice for all Americans, but you've never heard him uninterrupted and candid like this. Harry's a guy who's seen all 50 states and knows the inside of America better than almost anyone. He's told the stories of presidential candidates, poet laureates, and parents who've lost children to the opioid epidemic. He understands politics, media, Culture and life, like few really do. Harry represents the very best of the spirit and the story of America. But even Harry Smith is angry. He'll tell you why, he'll share what makes him happy, his tips on succeeding in life, what he thinks of the presidential candidates, his first car, and his favorite drink. He's seen a lot of this country, from sea to shining sea. His insights, wisdom, and positivity are a perfect break from the madness of our news. He's like a warm cup of hot cider to help you ease into the holidays and the kind of important, iconic, and inspiring American that we love to feature on this show. But before I get to Harry Smith, we've got some big news about another kind of road warrior. Big news indeed. Our next episode of this show will feature an extensive one-on-one with the next presidential candidate to join us. You asked for it, and it's coming. Mayor Pete Buttigieg will be our guest in the next episode of Angry Americans. Buttigieg is leading in the polls in Iowa right now. He's come out of nowhere to capture the attention of America and the world. And he's one of only two remaining candidates for president that served in uniform. A few weeks ago, we had a Hawaii congresswoman and the most controversial candidate for president not named Trump, Tulsi Gabbard. And the conversation was fascinating and revealing and the response was overwhelming, positive, critical, and everything in between. And next week, we have the only other candidate left that's a veteran and the single youngest candidate left in the race. Mayor Pete Buttigieg is 37 years old and he would be 39 years and one day old upon taking office if elected. Buttigieg, 37, and Gabbard, 38, are attempting to overtake Teddy Roosevelt's status as America's youngest president ever. Now, President Donald Trump holds the title of oldest president on his first inauguration day, taking office at 70 years old in 220 days. Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, and Bernie Sanders would all break that record if they're elected. But regardless of where you stand politically, there is no denying that Mayor Pete Buttigieg is a rising star. We are very happy to share he'll be joining us next week. And I say us because I'm also very happy to share that you will have an opportunity to be there. This interview will be our very first live angry Americans event. It's the first of what we hope will be many. You can be there in New York city on Tuesday. We have a limited number of tickets available for you, the dedicated members of this powerful independent community. If you want to join us in New York city, on Tuesday, go to angryamericans.us and sign up for a chance to get some of these limited tickets. If you can't be there, be sure to go to angryamericans.us now to sign up for our weekly newsletter and find out about future Angry Americans events first. And be sure to tune in next week to hear it. And encourage your friends and family to join this movement. Tell them to subscribe to Angry Americans for free now and hear this very unique conversation with another important, iconic, and inspiring American and a man who could be our next president of the United States. But before that, and before Harry Smith, let's hit the road through some of the most important issues facing America. With impeachment continuing to engulf our country right now, with Democratic candidates dropping like Ford Mustang sales, with the NFL playoffs coming soon, and with Christmas only three weeks away, and the Iowa caucuses only two months away, There are some important issues that have me angry, have others angry, and should have everyone angry. Issues you need to know about. And it starts with Trump's disastrous trip to NATO. If someone had asked Trump if he should go to NATO, the answer would be... No!
2: They're all going to laugh at you!
0: Someone should have told Trump, they're all going to laugh at you. And laugh at him they did. A video emerged showing world leaders mocking Trump. After a really uncomfortable first day of the NATO summit. So, there was video of a reception at Buckingham Palace that showed several world leaders, including UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and French President Emmanuel Macron, poking fun at Donald Trump over his antics at this week's NATO summit. <laughs> It's hard to hear, but it's easy to understand, especially if you can see the video and watch them talk. Trudeau doesn't mention Trump by name, but he seems to mention the president's impromptu press conference. You just watched his team's jaws drop to the floor, Trudeau said. And it's no laughing matter when the world is laughing at him. Like it or not, when they're laughing at Trump, they're laughing at you. They're laughing at all of us. And I've seen many people write or say, he's not my president. I didn't vote for him. I don't support him. Well, like it or not, he is your president. Until he's gone, he's a reflection on all of us. And people around the world think we support him. He's ours. Which is even more reason to hold him accountable. And whether he's on the road or holed up watching Fox and Friends and eating some Mickey D's, impeachment continues. And it's continuing to gain steam.
1: What happened in 2016 was bad enough. There is widespread agreement that Russian operatives intervened to manipulate our political process. But that distortion is magnified. If a sitting president abuses the powers of his office actually to invite foreign intervention.
0: This week, a crew of very smart people, scholars, agreed in testimony before the House that Trump's alleged dealings with Ukraine amounted to high crimes, And misdemeanors. They viewed them as abuses of power and grounds for impeachment, according to rules outlined in the Constitution. Three of them vehemently agreed that the president committed impeachable offenses, including abuses of power, bribery, the hampering of Congress, and obstruction of justice. The hearing comes after the release of a damning 300-page report from the House Intelligence Committee, summarizing its findings and detailing the overwhelming evidence of misconduct, that's what it said, by Trump and his inner circle over Ukraine, with call records pulling Rudy Giuliani in deeper and now implicating Congressman Devin Nunez, most annoying person in America, further into the scandal. Contained within that report is no mention of his butt dials to me or anyone else, but the report is out and I encourage you to read it for yourself. Don't read the spin, read the report. It's difficult, but it's necessary. Consider it your patriotic duty. The testimony this week, the report from Congress, the press conferences, the tweets, they're all good reason for Americans of all backgrounds to be understandably angry. And so is some breaking news of another shooting. This one on a military base. Good afternoon. You're following Breaking News from the Hawaii News Now Newsroom. I'm with Lynn Kawano. We are following
2: a lockdown at the Pearl Harbor Naval Shipyard. Here's a map now. And this was an active shooter situation, Lynn. You're hearing about possible victims in this situation.
0: The story is still developing as I record this, but one person's confirmed dead. At least three critically injured in an active shooter situation at Pearl Harbor Naval Shipyard. The shooter's been identified as a U.S. sailor. He reportedly shot and injured three Department of Defense civilian workers before shooting himself. The base is no longer on lockdown, and the situation seems to have ended. But as I've said before, if there's one reason to be angry in America, maybe above all others, one that terrifies all of us but can unite all of us, it's mass shootings. Attention must be paid. But even more so, action must be taken. But again, When shit goes down, you can look for the helpers. Whether it's in Hawaii where I'm sure stories will come out, Sandy Hook, or London Bridge. Helpers like Lukas Kasasik. Mr. Kasasik takes our story now on the road back to the UK again. Kasasik is one of the heroes who battled the London Bridge attacker and was knifed five times. He still battled the terrorist until the end. Lucas was a worker at Fishmonger's Hall, where Cambridge University was hosting a prison rehabilitation conference. He was cleaning glasses in the basement when he heard people screaming. He ran into the fray. Lucas was stabbed five times, and still he fought the attacker, Usman Khan.
2: I'm mayor of the greatest city in the world. One of our strengths is our diversity, but we do know uh, there are people out there who hate our diversity, who hate what we stand for and are trying to seek to divide us. What was amazing about today is we saw in the one individual, the suspect, the worst of humanity. But we also saw in the response from members of the public, but also our emergency services, that we are resolute. We stand united in the face of terrorism, and we will not allow anybody to divide us. That's the
0: mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. He celebrated Lucas for his bravery and for his immigrant story. He's from Poland, and he had immigrated to the UK and he'll be celebrated in his place of birth in Poland, but also now in the UK. And Sadiq Khan is a guy to watch. He's a leader of unity, someone whose name you should know. He's been included in the Time 100 list of most influential people in the world. And he's a frequent, thoughtful, and important critic
2: of our president for what I believe are the right reasons. My concern as the mayor of uh, London is here in the UK uh, we feel the long shadow of Donald Trump's uh, agenda, but also how the rise of the far right extends beyond the USA and is felt here. So, we see it, for example, in the fact that you've got politicians in the UK uh, and those in the far right uh, copying uh, Donald Trump. We see in Hungary, in Italy, in uh, Poland, in France, uh, members of the far right movement, people who support populist uh, nativism. Uh, having Donald Trump as their poster boy. And it's a huge source of concern for me as the mayor of the most diverse city in the world who believes in pluralism and liberal values.
0: The shadow of our president does extend around the world, far beyond his travels. And it concerns people overseas, and it's got plenty of people angry here at home. But again, Americans are not the only ones that are angry. Righteous, courageous protests and activism continue to happen all around the world, and most notably right now, in Iran. There's been a brutal crackdown in Iran, as it's been hit by the worst unrest in 40 years. What started as a protest over a surprise increase in gas prices turned into widespread demonstrations that were slammed With a systematic repression that left hundreds of people dead. We still don't know how many. The internet across the entire country was shut down for three days. But there were protests. There were courageous protests. And this might be a sign that the long term sanctions on Iran are actually working. And it's another key point in the case against war with and the bombing of Iran. This, as bloody, and as violent as it is and might become, is what many have actually hoped for and planned for and supported. This might be the painful path to a democratic Iran from within. And in Iraq, the turmoil continued as 45 people were shot dead by security forces in a protest massacre. According to local estimates, more than 400 people have been killed and as many as 19,000 injured since protests started to sweep across Baghdad and southern Iraq in October. And now, Iraqi Prime Minister Adel Abdul-Mahdi announced he's resigning. This is the first government response after the widespread public protests that have been sweeping through Iraq for months. Mahdi had only been in office for just over a year. People are sacrificing and risking their lives for freedom. In Iran, in Iraq, in Hong Kong, in Venezuela, around the world, They're risking their lives to have a voice in the streets. It's important for us to remember the importance of using our own voices next fall. And 2020 is coming soon, and we'll have our chance. Our great road trip to the White House continues, people. But some folks are getting on the bus, and some folks are getting off. So who's in, who's out, who's up, who's down? It's hard to keep track, but here are the top lines. In this episode, there's lots to report. Because after the two recent additions of Deval Patrick from Massachusetts and Mike Bloomberg from New York, three others are gone. Joe Sestak is out. Joe Sestak, the former Navy Admiral, Congressman from Pennsylvania, and one of only three veterans left, is among the three candidates to drop out. Now, you probably didn't even know he was running unless you listened to the show, but what little he put out was constructive and positive. And if he had made the debate stage, it definitely would have been better for the Democrats in my view and for America. But now maybe Admiral Sestak can help the Navy that he loves. Because if you've been listening to this show and tracking the news, you know the Navy sure needs it right now. But he's not the only one out. Steve Bullock is out, too. Steve Bullock, who won two terms as governor in a red state in Montana, never really caught on with Democratic primary voters. And an aide said he will not run for Senate in Montana, as many Democrats are hoping. But Steve Bullock, without much fanfare, is gone. And now, California Senator Kamala Harris makes three. There was a devastatingly bad piece in the New York Times last weekend that hit Harris at a really vulnerable time. It described unrest inside her campaign and lots of infighting. And I tweeted that it could accelerate her campaign's collapse quickly. I didn't know it was going to happen that quickly. But when you lead a campaign that takes so many shots at allies, it's probably only a matter of time before it happens to you. So Harris is out. But she's not gone. She could end up as attorney general, where she could do really well, or maybe as a VP candidate, maybe even a Supreme Court justice. She's leaving the road trip to 2020, but she'll be around and she'll probably be back, no doubt. And as she steps away, Democrats continue to eat their own. Harris did more of it than most, and I think she paid for it. And someone wrote to me on Twitter this week, something I've heard from a lot of Democrats before. This isn't eating your own. It's highlighting your differences as presidential candidates. No, it's not. It's exposing each other's weaknesses and exploiting them and softening each other up, especially this time. And the more they fight with each other, the less they have later to spend against Trump. It's friendly fire. And it's wasting ammo when you need to save every shot for the war to end all wars. But despite all this infighting, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who will join us next episode, continues to rise. Buttigieg leads in New Hampshire and in Iowa now, and Biden is dropping. According to the Real Clear Politics polling average, Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, now leads in Iowa with 24% of support, and in New Hampshire with 20%. This is the first time Judge has led in both races. And maybe even bigger news, Biden dropped down to fourth place in New Hampshire with just 13%. So although Biden's the national frontrunner, he's been stuck at fourth place in Iowa at 16%. And he continues to take hits. Don't watch the national polls, people. Watch Iowa, watch New Hampshire, watch South Carolina, and watch the Super Tuesday states. That's what matters. And Buttigieg's rise is noteworthy for so many reasons. As a young, gay, Midwestern mayor who's never won a statewide race, it's also a reminder not to dismiss upstart candidates. And a reminder that he's a centrist, and I believe it's his centrism and his moderation that are propelling him. And I think it's also what's prevented Biden from falling even further. As we focus on in this show on a regular basis, there is a strong, growing, angry, Independent middle that is looking for alternatives. The centrists, the moderates, the independents, the unaffiliateds—they're looking for candidates. And people like Buttigieg and Biden, and maybe Bloomberg, and maybe Deval Patrick will appeal to that part of our population. And interestingly, taken to the road himself, Buttigieg did a very moderate thing for a Democrat and spent Thanksgiving away from the campaign to go deer hunting with his husband's father in rural Michigan. Mayor Pete is looking like the front runner, and it'll be an awesome time in our next episode to sit down with him, find out what makes him angry, what makes him happy, and what his first car was, but also to press him on some of the most important issues and ask him some questions he's never been asked before. And if you've got questions you want me to ask of Mayor Pete, use the hashtag AngryAmericans and let me know. My invitation stands to all the presidential candidates and of course to president Trump to be my guest on this show, no matter where he is with the candidates for president. It's one down with Tulsi Gabbard to join us a few weeks ago, which continues to be one of our most popular episodes ever. It's one down with one to go next episode with mayor Pete Buttigieg. And as I've shared before, other candidates have been responding and more candidates will join us soon. This journey to 2020 is a long one people. And like that journey, Life is a highway. highway. And this show is picking up steam and going further and deeper across the country and around the world. Because Angry Americans is continuing to grow in popularity and power. We were recently featured in Variety Magazine. We hit number five in the political podcast in America. And we continue to hit charts In interesting places around the world. We're also apparently number 43 in Ireland and number 142 in Germany. Not great. I blame Trump. The Germans are not happy with us. Angela Merkel in particular is not happy with us. So the Germans are sick of him and maybe of all things America right now.
1: Guten Tag. Uh, My family and I are looking for sex. Feinland.
0: The Germans are no more happy with Trump than they are with Clark Griswold, which is a bummer because it's where my grandfather was born. It's where he came from. It's where he immigrated from as a teenager. But we'll work on Germany. And also, we're actually number 18 in politics in the United Arab Emirates. You may not know, the UAE is a sovereign constitutional monarchy. It's a federation of seven emirates consisting of Abu Dhabi, Dubai, and five others. Each emirate is governed by a ruler, and together, they jointly form the Federal Supreme Council. Now, this is a crew with a pretty horrible human rights record and has continued to support Assad in Syria. And according to Human Rights Watch, the UAE authorities have launched a sustained assault on freedom of expression and association since 2011. The UAE arbitrarily detains and forcibly disappears individuals who criticize the authorities within the UAE's border. UAE residents who have spoken out about human rights issues are at very serious risk of detention, imprisonment, and torture. Many of them are serving long prison terms or have left the country because of the pressure. Different emirates within the UAE's federal system actually have laws that criminalize same-sex sexual relations, including Abu Dhabi, where what they call unnatural sex with another person can be punished with up to 14 years in prison. This is really interesting. The UAE's population is roughly 9.2 million. Of that 9.2, only 1.4 million are Emirati citizens, and 7.4 million are expatriates. So maybe that's why we're doing so well over there in the UAE. Or Maybe some of you are listening right now inside the UAE at risk to your own life just for listening to this podcast. So a big shout out to our friends over there that are putting us on the charts at number 18 and fighting for change from the inside or just tuning in so maybe one day later they can turn the tide. So stay tuned, whether you're in South Bend, South Central, or Southeast Asia, and be sure to join our newsletter at Angry Americans to find out first what's happening. As we talk about hitting the road and traveling across this great country, something else happened recently that you might have missed. Something that has me happy, has others happy, or maybe angry, and I think should have everyone happy. And had Elon Musk happy and angry. Franz, could you try to break this glass, please? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Oh, my fucking God. Well, maybe that was a little too hard. (laughs) So Elon Musk and his team rolled out a new Tesla Cybertruck. And the windows were supposed to be unbreakable, but they broke. But beyond that, it's a pretty interesting rollout. The Tesla Cybertruck is an all-electric, battery-powered, light commercial vehicle developed by Tesla. Three models have been announced with range estimates of up to 500 miles and an estimated 0 to 60 time of as short as 2.9 seconds, depending upon the model. Now, the stated goal for Tesla in developing the Cybertruck is to provide a sustainable energy substitute for the roughly 6,500 fossil fuel-powered trucks sold per day in the U.S. And the base price of the rear-wheel drive model is only $39,000, with an all-wheel drive model starting at $49,000. Now, Musk says Tesla's already received more than 250,000 orders. A friend of mine actually ordered one because all you got to do is put hundred bucks down. So there's probably a lot of people putting hundred bucks down. Where they all buy them, we'll see. But unlike the new Ford Mustang SUV mutation, I'm a fan of the Cybertruck. It's new, it's smart, and it definitely looks badass. Kind of like if a Batmobile, a Back to the Future DeLorean, and a Humvee had a baby. And if Trump continues to burn down the country and we all need to get out in the road, this might be our best option. And if you're lucky, while you're out in the roads that line this amazing country of ours, you might have the good fortune of crossing paths with our guest this episode. Listen, I've traveled
1: every road in this here land.
2: I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man.
0: As holiday season approaches, we're going to take a guided tour With a guide who's driven the roads, climbed the mountains, rode the rivers, and walked the trails. Harry Smith is a storyteller, one of America's great storytellers, because Harry tells the stories of the best of us, the stories that cut to the core of who we are and who we can be. He's been to every one of our 50 states and all around the world listening, listening to the heartbeats of America and the heartaches. Harry was born in Lansing, Illinois in 1951. He got a degree in communications and theater from his beloved Central College in Iowa, which also just finished a hell of a football season, making the Division III playoffs and finishing at 10-2 and after a tough loss to a strong Wheaton team. But like the Dutch of Central College, the mighty Dutch, that's their mascot, Harry Smith is tough, gritty, and making his community, and all of us, proud. His is a great American success story. He started his broadcasting career in Denver on radio stations and in Cincinnati, Ohio on radio stations. In the early 80s, he worked for Denver's public television station, KRMA-TV. And from 82 to 85, he was a reporter and anchor for KMGH, then CBS affiliate in Denver. And in 1986, Harry Smith joined CBS as a reporter and was named a correspondent in 1987. Harry's now at NBC, which he came over to in 2011. But he's one of America's most distinguished journalists. He's been an anchor for more than 30 years. At CBS, he hosted The Early Show and its predecessor, CBS This Morning, for 17 years. He's been in your living room for decades, telling our stories, teaching, motivating, consoling. He's taking all of us on a journey through America and through life. He also hosted the A&E series, Biography. Harry's interviewed world leaders from Barack Obama to Margaret Thatcher. He's reported on the Persian Gulf War, the Iraq War, the war in Bosnia. He reported live from Tahrir Square on the night Hosni Mubarak fell from power. He covered the revolution in Syria. He's reported from disaster zones in the U.S., in Japan, Sri Lanka, Haiti, and the Philippines. He's won a number of Emmy Awards and an Edward R. Murrow Award and many other honors. Harry's married to the remarkable Andrea Joyce, a legendary sports reporter and inspiration. And they're the parents of two young men. And together, they combine to represent the best of what this country is all about. Harry Smith is going to take us on a journey. It's an episode of Angry Americans Rolling Forward, guided by Harry and guided by the four Eyes. It's a hand-built country road of integrity. It's a wide-open highway of information. It's a Main Street America of impact and a mountain trail of inspiration. Harry Smith has seen a lot in his journeys, and now he's ready to process, share, laugh, and guide us through it, and guide us through our past, and guide us forward into this precarious time for America. And he's going to do it with his trademark, no-nonsense candor, his sense of humor, and his warmth. He's going to take us into the holidays and down the road of life. Harry's been everywhere, and he's going to take us along for the ride. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 36. Let's hit the road.
1: I've traveled, had my share, man. I've been everywhere.
2: I've been everywhere.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, angry Americans around the country and around the globe, welcome to the Classic Car Club in New York City for an extraordinary conversation, one I've been looking forward to from the beginning, really from maybe my childhood. (laughs) Honestly. Uh, That's good. That's good. But we have uh, the the great and powerful, Harry Smith has joined us here in the Uh, Classic Car Club.
1: I don't know about the powerful. I'll take the great. I'll take the great. Great if only because I've lasted as long as I have. Right? I got miles. You, you do?
0: I have miles. I got you a do. lot of miles. We have a car behind you that's a, a Ford from, that's got to be like a 67. It's the Shelby, I it's think. It's the Shelby. Yeah. And uh, what has more miles on it, that car or you? Me. You, definitely. Oh, yeah. no that question. car looks like it's been. Yeah. Well, well cared however, for. oh, by the way, that car.
1: Much faster than I am.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you're still right. around. Oh, dude. And and Ford, uh, uh, I'm not so sure about. I mean, we, we covered this uh, in, in a previous podcast, right. but now they're down to only, they will soon be down to only producing the Mustang. It will be the only car they produce. And now the Mustang's an SUV. So you know that?
1: we're going to see Ford next month. We're going to go uh, spend some time with their electric engineers, talk about, their electric force, uh, talked with Jim Hackett, who's the CEO. Yeah. Yeah. We're going there. Uh, we're going there probably in, in January.
0: He's an interesting guy. He's not a car guy. He came from Steelcase. case, steel right?
1: case, but he's an old Michigan football player. Ah, and so all roads in my house hold lead back to Ann Arbor. Cause my wife is a graduate of Michigan and we know Jim Hackett through the university of Michigan. And my wife was, uh, was well acquainted with Bo Schembechler who was the famous Michigan coach and after he retired we'd go to games and he'd invite us up to his then tiny little microscopic uh, box and uh, we know his widow we're very good friends with Kathy yeah but so like there's with with the University of Michigan no degrees of separation
0: Is, is now a time you want to talk about Michigan football after, well, that after, was, after, we
1: were there. We were there. And there was a lot of optimism because it was the 50th anniversary of the game. It was Bo's first year. Against all odds, he beat Woody and he beat Ohio State, which was walked in there undefeated at the time. So it was a huge anniversary. Dan Deerdorf and all those guys who were in that first group of Bo uh, recruits who won that game had a huge... Gathering the night before, big anniversary party. We were all around, all these folks that we've known for years and years and years and respect so much. So, I will tell you, we were in the broadcast booth with uh, Jimmy Brandstetter, who was another good friend of ours wow. who played for Bo. And there was a moment during the broadcast where, during a commercial break, where Jimmy just walks to the back wall, looks straight straight at this at a wall. Utters some swear words, goes back and sits down and finishes the game.
0: Is 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 Harbaugh going to stay? He said he's going to. Are they going to let him? Is the question right? Well, like is, you he, know, the, so the is he know that? So the game is the Harbaugh so, experiment over. So, and we're talking for folks who no, don't they, know uh, Michigan Ohio State, maybe one of the greatest rivalries, the greatest rivalry in college football, left, happened last week. Left M- re- right? greatest re- rivalry
1: well, left. Yeah, there's right?
0: there's of course the the, the magnificent magnitude of Amherst versus Williams. True that. And Harvard Yale, Army yeah. Navy, a yeah, couple of other oh, Excellent, right? excellent. Army Navy point. coming up. But very good point. But yeah. but for most for, for ratings. Yeah. I mean Auburn, Alabama happened recently too, but it doesn't mm-hmm. have that 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 magnitude it feels like of Gaboom. Ohio State versus Michigan. good boom. And the question is now whether Harbaugh will be the future of Michigan or this experiment is over because they lo- they lost again.
1: Okay. But here's the so they were looking at three games going in, right? Michigan State, Notre Dame, and for a lot of people at Michigan, a lot of people, Notre Dame actually is on the top of their rivalry list. So they beat Notre Dame. They handled Michigan State. Um, it's two out of three. I think, you know, I don't know any of the inner workings of any of that stuff, but the thought is... Harbaugh is a Michigan man, and that makes a difference. That makes a difference. I don't know if you go out and, you know, because think about this whole crazy business, right? Arkansas hires the guy from MSU, um, uh, SMU, uh, two years ago, season and a half in. And he's, like, his whole thing is he's a four-year plan. Has amazing success at SMU. He's there a year and a half. They can him. People are writing checks for these contracts that go forever and ever and ever. I have no idea. Uh, now, on that level, I'm a D3 guy, right? I'm a D3 football player. I have no idea how any of that stuff works on that level, except there are people writing huge checks.
0: Well, maybe bringing it back around, didn't Gerald Ford play at Michigan? Heck yes. So Gerald Ford played at Michigan. Yeah. And that's probably a Ford starting up right now <laughs> in, in, in the background. But... um Gerald Ford is, I think, the only, one of the only presidents to play Division One, but he played in Michigan. Yeah, and and this game is happening. Right, and we just talked about Ford Motor Company. Yeah, we're talking about Michigan. I think this the, the point I want to make here, Harry, is part of why I was excited about talking to you. Right, is I don't know if there's anybody that I know who knows America better than you, mm. like the intersection of sports, of uh. politics, of culture, of uh. of, of of regionalism, right. of media. All of that is one of the reasons why I was so excited to talk to you, man. And we're having—we're already deep into that. So, for folks who maybe um, don't know how far your amazing career has spanned, yeah. The thing that I was thinking about getting ready for this interview is sure. Harry's seen America inside and out for your whole life, yeah. But it's been your profession for you know three decades, four decades Plus, now,
1: yeah. Right. So the cool thing for me, honestly, and I, I remember I hitting this mark many, many years ago already. Is I've reported, uh, I've done I've done stories in all fifty states, right? I've spent time, real time, yeah. not not drive through, but real time, in all fifty states, and that's a, a that's a, like an important check check in my you know you have your your boxes that you need to check. That's a big deal. That's a, that's a, that's a real thing for me. And quite honestly, um, I have a mantra that I, that I use. Uh, especially with the kids at work. And I say every day outside of the building is a victory for the good guys. Cause you know what? Um, I, I cannot recommend highly enough. The Jimmy Breslin documentary that was on HBO earlier this year. It'll be a, just type it in. You know, you're sitting there on, on, on Thursday night. What are we going to watch? Okay. Look it up. Jonathan Alter and these other guys made this amazing documentary about Jimmy Breslin slash, give me two seconds, he was just in the paper. There was another great tabloid writer. Oh God, this is gonna drive me nuts. And as soon as I stop thinking about it, I'll think about it anyway. But the part of the scene, one of the scenes in the documentary is all these newsrooms where people have three screens in front of them, right? And Jimmy's whole thing was always, the story's outside, the story's on the street, right? The story's not, you know, it's not from the wire service. You gotta get your butt out into the world And that's where, and a lot of times, and I always, I help teach a writing class at NBC. Tell me to slow down or stop if you want me to, because I'll go on forever. Go.
0: Okay. That's the beauty. And one
1: of the things that I talk about is you see the scrum of media around a politician or a movie star or a newsmaker as they come out. I say, the story's not in the scrum. Story's almost never in the scrum. Maybe that person's going to say one thing that's worthwhile, but most of the rest of the time, it's not in the scrum. It's usually somewhere on the periphery of the scrum. You stand back from the scrum, it's a lot of you, you're going to find a better story than the one that's in the middle of it. I love that.
0: <laughs> I love that. I think that's
1: right. For those of you who are, are actually listening to the podcast and not looking at the video, um, this is my second time in this building. Last time I was here, we were just BSing about, oh, you know, well, I'm going to do this and I want to do that and I want to do that and I want to get your advice. And I'm like, this guy's so nuts. Right?
0: Was that your reaction
1: when I told you I want to start a media
0: company and do a podcast?
1: uh, Yeah. (laughs) But you know what? Why not? Why not? Absolutely, why not? Because the world, world, world will will never be flatter. And if what you have to present and and how you do it actually has has, (laughs) there's a word I like to use. It's an old Dutch word. It's ecta. If it's authentic
0: and it's real, Hmm. it'll get traction.
1: So that's it, there you go.
0: and that's been your career. You're authentic before authentic was a thing, right <laughs> you are I mean, right now, authenticity uh. is this thing you hear about right but i again I, I go back to to where uh to where I started, where you started, like I think like many folks listening right now, I kind of grew up in an America with Harry Smith uh. you were like um like, like a GPS for America before there was GPS, you were a compass, right? And you kind of took us on these journeys across America and across (laughs) ourselves and really, really powerful conversations. So, you know, I don't, when we first met, I I don't know if you know this, I think it was actually on line to go into one of the political conventions. I don't think we had ever actually met. I was trying to figure it out, but it was either really, I think it was really hot and it, it was at possible. one of the political conventions and maybe I just 2004 asking, or 2008 it's like who
1: are you what are you doing and blah, blah 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 and i think somehow
0: we started chatting like we were yeah. both stuck on like a ridiculously long right. line waiting yeah. hours to go into the line or something yeah. yeah and i think it was 2004 or 2008 and we were stuck outside yeah. i don't know if triumph the insult comic dog was there but it was one of these chaotic <laughs> scenes where everybody's just waiting to get inside this really sm- right. relatively small venue yeah. right for a really and, and that and you and i just started talking shit and we just right. struck up a conversation and well I've then been i thankful. said we gotta put this guy on tv well i don't know about that but is, I is think that it think it happened said? pretty soon There, i think after. it was happening around the, that yeah. time but then we came back well you had something to say yeah. and
1: there was so much about that war and that go back to nine eleven. look at the response look at the initial response look at a the secondary response, we'll call it rock, the secondary response. And there was just so much about all of that. That was so messed up. Mm. And we were looking for somebody who could, you know, begin to articulate what that experience was like for guys who were coming back, men and women who were coming back. And I, you know, we had this conversation standing in line. I said, who are you? What do you do? Blah, 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 blah. And I said, you know, get, get your butt over here. We need to, we need to sit you down. Cause, well, anyway, that's a, that's a, I still don't think we know the enormity of what all of that was just in terms of, it's so interesting because there's all this revisionist history. Oh, that was never a good idea. And when, why would we do that? And blah, 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 blah. When it was happening, There was a lot of, it was close to unanimous. Like, oh, no, 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 let's go do this thing. I remember we put Susan Sarandon on before the Iraq war started on, right? And our phones melted down. Our phones melted down because people were like, how can you put that blah, 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 blah on TV? That's, you know, opposed to this is, this is like America wanted its pound of flesh, right? And that was what that was about, because the dots that were there were not connectable. So don't, it's... We no, could, I'm, I'm glad you
0: I think that's an insight into, into your life and your career and part of why I wanted to sit down with you because we could pull out these points that, you know, you've been in, in everyone's living room for a generation, but they never really get to see you off camera. And I've been lucky enough to know yeah. you and have you as a mentor and a friend. You've given me a lot of guidance, especially in the last year, but really throughout my career, I consider you you know, one of the good guys, one of the, the honorable people, one of the people who, who is uh, a throwback in all the good ways, but you've been so great in mentoring so many people along your career, but also helping us understand the importance of conversation and insight. And Mm. part of your magic area is in that approach. Like you just got me to start spilling my guts online at a, at at a convention in the same way you got (laughs) Susan Sarandon to spill her guts is the same way you got heads of state to spill their guts. But um, before we go too far down that line, I yeah. ask everybody who joins us right, right. what their adult beverage of choice is. Right. And your your response was... Uh, well, that, I
1: said please. bourbon, rye, and gin, not necessarily in
0: that order. And Armagnac. I love Armagnac. Which I love. Oh and I'm God. so glad you said that. Stuff is so good. Right? So, yeah, I, I had never had Armagnac until I think I was in Europe, yeah, where it's much more prevalent, right? Yeah. And for folks that don't know, it comes from... Uh, It's it's, it's a smaller distribution, a different region of cognac, Mm -hmm. right? A brandy that comes from a region of France. But I had never had it until I went maybe Italy or France somewhere. Yeah, France. And I said, all right, I'm going to try this, right? And I loved it. To. And I came back, and every time I try to order it, nobody has it. Yeah. They have cognac. They yeah. have cavassier, They yeah, have yeah. whatever Puff Daddy's drinking in a video, but they don't have Armagnac. Man. So I actually tried to get it here today yeah. for you, and they didn't have it. I could have brought it from home. and They didn't have it. But we did. We went down the list, and I got some rye. And although it is oh, kind of lunchtime, yeah. uh, I'm going to pour you some rye. It's from the uh, Fort Hamilton whiskey. Ah, our friends here who were making rye in New York, like they used to back in the old days, way back in the day. Yes, you know and one so, of the
1: myths or stories about rye. Please, I just want to take a please smell. Is uh, it, go back to uh, colonial times, and everybody was. This is I don't know if it's a true story or not. I, I believe it, it's probably completely apocryphal, but uh, there was the idea that that people were drinking rum. Right. So it's made from sugar cane, comes right. from the islands, they're drinking rum like crazy. Well, there were all kinds of times when there were wars going on and who knows what. And all these Dutch farmers up and down the Hudson River, they said, Well, we can ferment this rye we're growing, we're growing ryegrass right out here in the pasture. And so that that's one of the myths or stories about how rye came to be. Yes. Yeah.
0: And that Kentucky and other places embraced uh, the whiskey industry. During Corn. prohibition, post-prohibition, the yeah. way New York and other places yeah. up north did not, yeah. right? So rye was, you know, whiskey in the old days yeah. before bourbon yeah. and other stuff. So do, I'm dying to know, do you have a toast, Harry? When you when you drink, is there a, is there a toast oh, at Harry's smirk? Yeah, a because standard? you're such a man of of, of <laughs> arts and letters I, and well, culture no, and experience. I usually, listen, it's usually
1: uh, custom thought. It's There's no standard, uh, you know, thing that I repeat and repeat and repeat. So can we have a
0: toast now? Uh, yeah Harry sure Smith i'd love toast.
1: to what well, uh my might do what may i offer it please may I offer it please. okay so here's to freedom here's to respect here's the opportunity
0: and here's to the future cheers thank you sir beautiful i'm so glad i asked that yum what do you think of the whiskey? Terrific. It's good, right? Yeah, really And nice. it's holiday time, so I feel like we're, we're bundled up in a garage. Right. Um, winter is here, mm. politically and, and environmentally. <laughs> um, the, the, the metaphor is rich. Yes. But uh, I asked this of all our guests, and I want to get to it with you. Um, Harry Smith, what makes you angry? So I've been thinking about uh, when we had
1: our chat here some, some months back and- you were talking about different names for what you were going to call you this and everything. And I was like, I was like, eh, you know, maybe you need to touch the brakes on that a little bit. It was felt aggressive to me. Right. So I was recalling that there was a, a a very progressive magazine back in my day called ramparts. And I have this idea and I tried to look it up on the way over today, but I remember um, it was ramparts. Maybe it wasn't ramparts, but there was a progressive magazine back in the day, and one of the taglines under the uh, under the uh, the, uh, the title of the magazine was, "It's better to be pissed off than to be pissed on," right? And so I'm thinking, you know, sure, why not? And the what what I believe, what I'm going to take from your attitude about all of that, going back to your first initial response to what your experience was coming back from Afghanistan and coming back from wars was you need to, you need to do something, right? Because it's one thing to sit on the sidelines and ballyhoo and, and complain and say, what about this? And how come that? And blah, 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 blah. Or you can say, you know, we need to, we need to fix this. We need to fix this. Or we need to at least wrestle with it and let's deal with this. So I'm 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 good. I'm good with what you're trying to accomplish here, right? Not that you're asking for my imprimatur or anything, but what makes me angry is uh, is injustice. Is injustice, and it's still it's still prevalent. Um, greed, greed makes me angry. Um inequality makes me makes me angry. They make me simultaneously angry and sad at the same time. Right? How can this is a great graph in the paper yesterday, it might have been in the online version of the Times and it talks about income uh uh inequality and um we did we did a, a, a focus group. I'm sorry, we did a focus group with 11 Democratic voters in eastern Pennsylvania about two months ago in preparation for a series we did, series of interviews, policy interviews we did with uh, 10 of the candidates. And we spent two hours and 40 minutes with these folks. And as diverse a group as you could possibly imagine. It was an old sci-fi movie in the uh, 60s where these uh, people shrank down and got inside the a, a body, right, a human right, body, right. right? Impossible voyage. I don't remember what the heck it was called. Yeah, and I thought I'm inside the body of the, I'm inside the democratic, the body of the Democratic Party because it was so interesting and so diverse. But one of the things that really came out of this conversation was we can't afford to live in America anymore. Mm. This one guy says, "Okay, so I've started my own business." My wife is working too. We have two kids under five, and it costs me $23,000 a year to send my kids to daycare. $23,000 a year. Do you know what kind of gross slash net income those two people have to have in order for that number to make any kind of fit into a budget, add a mortgage, add student loan debt, add two car payments, add insurance, add blank 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 how does it how how does it pencil out is what they used to say Mm. and
0: that's a tough that's a right that's it's tough out there it's really tough out there that's so much the embodiment of what this show is intended to be like you were representing angry americans harry a long time ago i mean people who felt like they weren't being heard who felt like there was injustice um, there was greed, there was corruption, and I think you were able to open up those voices for many Americans for for decades. So, th- And that's the spirit of this show, the idea that angry Americans are, are founders. Angry Americans are parents who are sick of seeing their kids get shot mm-hmm. in schools. Angry Americans are people who yeah. can't make ends meet or are fighting opioids. There's a lot that if you're paying attention, you should be angry about. And the question is, what do we do with it? How do we turn that into positivity and not negativity? How do we turn that into something constructive. And that's where I've always loved your work because you, you have done that. You've channeled that pain and anguish and energy. And there's always a positive energy Mm -hmm. to every piece that you do. I'm glad you mentioned the, the exploration of the, the candidates yeah. uh, and, and the people, because I saw that piece and I thought it was really important. Like who better to understand, not just like a quick soundbite, but really understanding right. America in all its diversity and all its complexity yeah. than, than Harry Smith. So when you did that, I thought it was very important. But building on that question, if you are that if you're that little person moving through the body of the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. you're actually that person moving through the body of the great American experiment. Right. So when you think about the state of America, yeah. the body politic, yeah. how do you evaluate the health and wellness of our country right now as someone who is an expert? <laughs> uh, okay. What is,
1: uh, what I heard Nancy uh, Pelosi talking about how she tells everyone in her family what disease they have. She yeah. says, I'm a doctor without diploma. Um, so that's me. Yeah. But, so this is what, this is, there are certain things that I know for sure And yesterday I was in Portsmouth, Ohio. Portsmouth, Ohio once had 11 pain clinics, pill mills, discredited doctors, getting, giving, uh, doing cash prescriptions for people for opioids. 11, 11 at one time. So this is one of the hardest place, hardest hit places in the country. And, we are there, yes, it was just yesterday, and I thought, this is so perfect for your show. We're, we're doing this piece for Nightly News, probably do a longer version on a, on a different broadcast at some point. But there are two veterans I met there. The one guy comes back, uh, goes into the Navy, goes to college, goes back into the Army as an officer, and comes comes back to his hometown, and he says, I don't know where, what, what happened to my hometown? It was an opioid crisis. Mm-hmm. So he opens a gym, a CrossFit place, because he learned about CrossFit. And he found that that was helping him cope post, post-duty uh, abroad. And um, he opens this gym. And he decides at some point, is it's, it's really starting to take off. And he's starting to sell some products, some you know uh, eco-friendly products. Guy ends up on Shark Tank, for God's sake. Gets an <laughs> investor, right? So things are going pretty good in his life. But he's home and he says, I'm so mad at these people. Uh, these drug addicts are walking up and down the streets in my town. Don't they, don't they get it? What, you know, what's wrong with these people? And he couldn't reconcile his post-duty abroad with these people who he felt like were wasting their lives. So for what, some unknown reason, three years ago, he decides to buy a building downtown and put his gym downtown. Right, it's a wasteland. I promise you, it is a wasteland. Starts the gym up there. Some of the business guys are coming in. Da 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 da. Say, Maybe this CrossFit stuff could work for the people in recovery. So they go over and knock on the recovery guy door, and he says, "Yeah, bring that in there. See what we got. Amazing results. Amazing results." Right? You've got this guy, former military guy, you know, in your face. Take the next step. Right, Take the right, next step. Right. right. And it's such a metaphor for their own lives. Like, if I can get through this friggin' CrossFit class, maybe I can get a little more self-worth. And if I can build up my self-worth, maybe I've got what I need to fight this disease. Unbeknownst to this guy, three blocks away, another veteran is opening up a restaurant, a brew pub in this wasteland. These guys get together, and now they're this unstoppable force in Portsmouth, Ohio, where all of a sudden there's life in a place where there was nothing but despair. And both of them said almost exactly the same thing. This is what we learned in the military. Sometimes the cavalry isn't going to come. Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do.
0: Yep, yep. And that's, uh, that's the beachhead. Right? For America's fight on opioids and, and so many other issues. And think about all the different. Listen, there was no IAVA.
1: Right. There was no IAVI. You know, there was no. Right. There, was, there was bureaucracy and there were, you know, people from Congress who were, you know, yabba, 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 yabba. But there was no one saying, who are we and what are we about and what, what do we need most? Right. How can we need some other kind of services than whatever is
0: coming down the pipe right now? And if they don't exist, we're going to create them. And that's that's the American spirit, Ding. right? That's the innovation, the yeah. grit, the pioneerism, the picking yourself up by your bootstraps. And sometimes it's that angry outrage that drives it. So I think that that's why I, this topic in particular is such an, an interwoven part of your career. Mm. Um, and I'm grateful that you're here for it. So that beachhead is the spirit of this country. And maybe what I think is the untold part of the story that's happening in america i don't want to simplify it but you're a guy who also in in a time like this in politics knows i don't want to say the the middle of america geographically yeah but more the beating heart of Mm. america Mm -hmm. because i think that gets oversimplified this idea that there's like a you know a a a jump all voter in rural iowa right, or, yeah. or in uh, Wisconsin, rural, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, yeah, Pennsylvania Ohio, right, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. and it's a working class white guy, mm-hmm. or it's a, you know, lower middle class white woman, yeah. right, who's a jump ball voter, right, and I think that's a ridiculous oversimplification of the complexity of this country that is almost Without like many, many different countries yeah. in and of itself, yeah. right, so in particular, when you look at the candidates, what, what's your analysis, I mean, what do you see, what do you, mm. you think is mm. important, Mm. Uh, we're at a point now where where Pete Buttigieg is leading in Iowa. Yeah. You know, he and Biden and Warren and Sanders to some extent are emerging. Uh, now the candidates are really starting to drop out. Kamala's out now. Kamala Harris is out. Right. Um, people like Deval Patrick are jumping in. It, it's kind of chaotic. Yeah. But you know, Mike Bloomberg. Mike Bloomberg is now jumping in. But what do you see, Harry? Mm. <laughs> you know, somebody asked me because we we've been out with these folks.
1: We started uh, in the springtime and did a whole series with, I think, 14 or 15 of them, then came back and just finished another series where we did nine or 10. Um, Beto dropped out, so we didn't run him. Um, He dropped out, like, three days after we did the interview. It was pretty funny. Um, You know, you see certain people who, like, for instance, the person early on, I had seen Elizabeth Warren in northwest Iowa when there was still snow on the ground and lakes were frozen. And I thought I'm, you know, I'm not reading this. I'm not whatever. And I we used to inter- interview with her with some frequency when I was still doing morning TV about the financial crisis. So I'm well acquainted with her, and she was always a very valuable guest. Um, but I just I couldn't read whatever. You know, I'm not sure this is is going to translate. By the time we saw her then, when there were leaves on the trees in New Hampshire, she was just she was growing. And as it turns out, she has this amazing narrative about if there wasn't $50 tuition at my local school, I don't get my degree. There was a great moment with her on the stump where she's exchanging stories with this young, you know, 14 or 15 year old girl, and there's tears, and there's she, she, she was perceived as this almost automaton and brilliant person. But it was she real, but she brings so she brings this real life narrative to the stump, and all of a sudden it skyrockets and people sitting in the studios don't get it, but if the people are out leave the building, thank you very much very much, Jimmy Breslin, then you can see it. You can actually see how she resonates with the crowd we were we did an interview with her a month ago in North Carolina. they were lined up around the building, right so there's some you see when 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 there's Whatever that traction is, whatever that mm-hmm. attraction is, you can see when it happens. Um others, Cory Booker, you probably know, and we did several interviews with him, so passionate, so amazing. I have no idea why he can't, you know make make get mileage out of that. It's I mean, it's fascinating to me. I've been watching this stuff for a long time, right, and I don't know what the formula is. I do not know what the formula is that says, this one is actually going to go up, and this one is going to go down. Mm. I was surprised that Kamala didn't get
0: more traction. I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't. I think, I think there was a part of her that checked a lot of boxes, but I really think there was an element of her campaign that was, um, in some ways, a little bit too much like Trump, in that there was a lot of fighting. Mm. There was a lot of aggression. Mm. There was a lot of um, coming at people. Yeah. And, and, and that's her nature as a prosecutor. It's part of her brilliance. I think right. every one of these candidates has like a superpower, Yeah, right? And if Kamala Harris ends up being an attorney general, she could be extraordinary. Maybe she'll be a Supreme Court justice. Maybe she'll be the vice presidential candidate. Right. But I think in the short term, she scored some points. But mm. in the long term, yeah. it, it started to come apart. And yeah. when you take enough shots... At your own side, eventually it comes back to get you. And that's yeah. kind of what happened on her campaign as yeah. the New York Times piece came out over the weekend talking mm-hmm. about the internal strife. And then a couple of days later, yeah. it, she, she she drops out. But I also think you touched on something important about Elizabeth Warren. One of her superpowers, in my view, Harry, is, is she's a learner. She's like a computer. She's learning so quickly and she absorbs and digests information yeah. at a level that's really extraordinary. Yeah. So you can see her if there's a candidate that's like improving mm-hmm. or getting smarter. If she was yeah. a computer system, right? Like there's a there's a level of a, of, of awakening, yeah. right, where it becomes alive. And that's kind of what I saw in her. She became this new level of alive. Mm. And a lot of it has to do with just how smart she is yeah. and how quickly she can learn. And I saw that working with her. you know, when she was in the Senate and the consumer protection board, right. She would really learn quickly and they all kind of have their own superpower. But when I I want to get into, well, it ends up, it ends up right. What does it take?
1: It ends up a matter of not just IQ, but EQ.
0: Right. Right. Right.
1: Takes a certain degree of emotional intelligence to be able to make it work too.
0: So to that point, right. You've got, um, Biden. Yeah. Buttigieg and maybe Sanders. Right. That are kind of, still in the mix here. Um, it seems like Biden and Sanders, I'm sorry, Biden and Buttigieg. We don't know but, anything. But Biden and this Buttigieg. Is, hang on, hang on, ahead, hang on, hang on.
1: This is like, if you go back and look at past election yes. cycles and where certain
0: people were in the election cycle They were like almost, who is that? I get that. But I want to, I'm going to go back and ask you, because you are great. (laughs) You're great at flipping it into analysis of the candidate or asking, you know, twisting it to me. But I'm really curious if you're comfortable sharing what you think, Mm. because there's, what do you see if, if Buttigieg and Biden were quarterbacks, how would you evaluate them? If they were cars, how would you evaluate them? Like, There's something about the two of them that is continuing to resonate with the independent part of the country, the middle part of the country, the more Mm -hmm. moderate part of the country. Sure. And I think that's going to determine the election. A lot of folks who listen to the show that don't align with Republicans or Democrats are going to determine this election, maybe all elections, but I also think the country is more moderate than people have been seeing on Fox and MSNBC. That's also a part of what I want to explore in this show. So really, I want to push you on this, Harry. Biden and Buttigieg. Yeah. What do you think? So, it's uh, a friend of mine uh, who, uh,
1: Eric Salzman is the guy's name. He's a producer at uh, NBC. Yes. I worked with him doing uh, uh, politics at CBS as well. And uh, we finished our first interview with uh, Mayor Pete, uh, you know, months and months and months ago. And he just turns to me afterwards. He said, more people live in my neighborhood in the Upper West Side than live in South Bend, Indiana. And one of the things that I hear often as just I'm out and about is experience, 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 experience. I don't know how that, I'll be surprised if that doesn't come into play as time goes on. Right. On the other hand, he's out there in Iowa and these Iowa voters are, they are, they're serious consumers. They go and they kick tires, you know, they go to the, uh, they go to the church basement. They go to the uh, you know, local gym. They go, to, they, they go to hear these guys and say, yeah, should we go back and see Pete again? What do you think? They're sitting over the kitchen table saying, what do you want to do tonight? Ah, let's go see Joe Biden because they're there. They're right in the neighborhood. All of these guys are very accessible in that regard. Um, you can see how Biden is comfortable out there. He's got his mo- no malarkey bus. And there's there's a degree of comfort that I th- he's really trying to work on. Um, but some of the TV images are hard to shake. Think of his performances in the, in the debates that were, I think even his people would agree, less than Sterling. So, yeah. Um, and does it even matter with the Super Tuesday that's so different from what we've known in the past? Because this stuff just is going to, once Iowa and New Hampshire happens, man, Nevada, boom, boom, South Carolina, it's going to go flying at us yeah,
0: like crazy. Yeah. And maybe that's what Deval Patrick and Mike Bloomberg want to be. If if experience is important and Biden has maybe too much and Buttigieg doesn't have enough, who's the Goldilocks in the middle that might be just right, right? Who? Because they maybe it's Bloomberg, maybe it's yeah. Deval Patrick, maybe, again, I think people are overestimating the country's appetite for the far left of Warren and 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 Sanders, and the party may make a choice in these early primary states well, to go in that direction, yeah. but it generally comes back to the middle. And I'm I am I I am not so arrogant that I will predict, but I yeah. think what's happening is the shaking out. Right? Yeah. You've got Biden. You've got Buttigieg. Warren will be around. Sanders may be around. He probably will be. Others he's, may listen. Be, will he's, be in the periphery. He's we were, he's stronger than ever. I mean, in terms, but he always of hits the vitality. fire. But he always hits the firewall in the South. Right. And that's the question of if he can endure that. And can they all come together at the end of this? Can it be Game of Thrones? Can they be Jon Snow against the White Walkers and Trump on the other side? That's the great question, right?
1: So you love Game of Thrones?
0: Oh, totally. I got Harry Smith on Game of Thrones, please. What do you think? Such a good song, right? Oh, my God. What are your favorite shows of all time, Harry? Like, how do you rank, because you are a man of experience now, just yeah. the right amount. Yeah. Uh, is, how good is Game of Thrones relative to shows of yeah, all time? I had to be talked into it, because our son was,
1: our younger son was in college at the time. And he would come home in the summer and repair to a back room in the apartment and, and watch Thrones. And I said, you know, I'm not a fantasy guy. I'm not a fantasy guy. And finally, after, after a while, he just said, you don't get it. I know you'll love it. You don't get it. I know you'll love it. You just have to do it. So I was getting on an airplane. I downloaded like season one or whatever it was. And I just went,
0: what?
1: Fun, really fun. Extraordinary piece of TV. Um, So I had, you know, yeah, I had a blast with that. Um, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a big binger. I see an episode. I'll be halfway through a second episode. And I'll say, how many of these? And they'll say 15. I said, I got it. I don't, I don't I don't need to see this on the same episode, do the
0: same thing over and over and over again. I just don't get attracted enough to the yeah. characters. As 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 the that kind of content evolves, the media has evolved too. So I, I really want to get your thoughts on the state of the media. I mean, that that's a broad thing to say, right? But you are talking to people that are now consuming media in so many different ways. There was a time where you were in I don't know what percentage of of living rooms yeah, but it was double digit percentages, <laughs> right? Every yeah. morning or every evening, right? You yeah. were you were part yeah. of the family. And now it's splintered into so many different things. Agreed. But but what 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 do you again, what does Harry Smith see in in this evolution and Wild West that is the media landscape?
1: Yeah, now? we don't know Bupkus because of streaming. And as Disney Plus, as NBC's got a, a streaming, everybody's gonna have a streaming streaming, we're in a kind of streaming wars. And boy, the um, <laughs> I'm really gonna sound like such an old grumpy guy. I carry two phones and an iPad, right? I'm pretty, for a, for a Luddite, I'm pretty hooked up. But um, the phones are, phones in the end of the day are are really harming us. And what comes across our our, our screens Um, We have people in this country who spend 12 hours a day in front of a screen. One of the things that I've been really interested in, like in the last six months or so, is especially, you know, I'm married to a glass ceiling breaker. My wife was in the Dallas Cowboys locker room. Tom Landry opens the door to the locker room for a preseason game in 1987 and says, men, she's coming in. 1987, right? So she's brought, she's, she's busted down a lot of doors. She's extraordinary. Her career is extraordinary. So, Andrea Joyce, Joyce. right? Anyway, yeah, yeah, she does, she does a lot of Olympic stuff then, but back in the day, she did the NBA, she did NFL, she did all this stuff. Yeah, she's extraordinary. Um, But what I see, but what, as what I read about is people, especially young people, spend so much time on these screens and they're afraid. To be themselves because the the crowd is judging everyone's ever every single motion and moment. And so you have young women, for instance, teenage girls, staying home on the weekend instead of going out with their pals, because they don't want to be shamed by, by, by whatever group is in the in the high school, mm-hmm. right? So here are these women of a prior generation plus who have said, we're knocking down walls out here and we're, we're growing opportunities and we have a whole generation below them that are saying, we don't want to take the risk. It's kind of, it's, there's, 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 there are days that I feel there's more harm, maybe even much more harm on screen than there is good. And in the end of the day, right? Look at this world we're, we're, we're in, right? Well, don't you want to jump in a, not today maybe, but don't you want to kayak up the Hudson River someday? Yes. Yeah, I you have, sure I do. I have
0: kayaked on the Hudson River. Exactly right. It's
1: extraordinary. It's exactly awesome. Exactly right. Yeah. Right. Sail yeah. a boat, kayak a river, climb a mountain, right? Jump from rock to rock. All that stuff that's yeah. out there. Yeah, I was high in the Colorado Rockies this summer, and they had such an extraordinary and unusual Crazy snowfall last year, even though the state has been ravaged by drought over the last decade, there were still columbines blooming at about 11,000 feet in August. Extraordinary. Never happens, right? And you're just climbing around in this stuff and saying, This this is real. This is the real stuff. This is the stuff on the screens. It's, 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 it's why, why we allow ourselves to climb in there. And it becomes to the exclusion of everything else. Right.
0: Sorry. No, that's this. Every question. You go, down, you go to, I'm going, I'm a wormhole. I'm. I, that's why I love having you with us. That's why I love podcasting, because we can go deep on subjects and we can see where they go. And every conversation I have with you, Harry, starts in one place, but ends up being about kind of America and the world. Mm. That's your insight, that's your wisdom. And yeah. and you know, the guy who was on every screen in America is now warning us about the dangers of screens. Yeah. yeah. Right? And I think that's profound and it's important and it cuts to the core of what it is to parent and what it is to be alive in this time. Last week I was in the mountains with my kids. My baby is 9 months old and he saw his first snowfall. He saw his first snowfall and it was extraordinary to see that through his eyes. Right. And my four year old had his probably best sledding day. And I thought he went off a ledge, but it was only a hole. Thank God. So, but you know, it was that time where we were reconnecting with the earth and the land and also recognizing that he was not only seeing his first snowfall, but we were high up in the mountains and it was cold and it was, dark and he really saw the stars for the first time oh my god like he i could see that he saw them yeah like, he, he was he was processing them he at some point he went ah oh, and he, he doesn't speak right. words. Yeah, yeah, yet, right. but the awe in his body and in yeah. his being i yeah. saw yeah and and the reconnecting with the earth is so important and it's also a through line for all that you do harry it's a through line in yeah. a lot of your work is that you're out there you're out of the building you're in the streets and in the mountains and in the hills. And there's a a connection to this, the greatness of this country that I think is a really important part of, of your work that I am grateful for.
1: Well, thanks dude.
0: I'll tell you what else though is
1: you can't, you can't read enough. You can't experience enough. You can't listen enough. I mean, honestly, some of the people we met just in the last year, I met Joy Harjo, who is the new poet laureate of the United States. First Native American to become Poet Laureate. This woman writes tears to your eyes, tears to your eyes. One of her latest books is about the mass mi- forced migration of Native Me- Americans out of the South in the 1800s, a couple of decades before the war between the states. Insane. Just here are these people. I. There are things that I that I understand better, I would say, at 68 years old than I ever understood at mm. 20 or 25 or 35 or whatever. And I'm reading these words about, here, this, this was home, right? There's a great piece in the Times just the other week about the real Thanksgiving. And what, I you know, it. we talk about our American exceptionalism and all this other stuff. Man, do we have blood on our hands, right? What we did to get what we got, and now... So Joy Harjo's one, um, um, the woman who is one of the first two Native American women elected to Congress from Deb Holland. I saw your piece on that too. That from, was fantastic uh, from yeah. New Hampshire, right? Yeah. And she's, I said. So talk to me a little bit about your lineage. Well, my mother's family, uh, my father's family, they're Norwegians, and they've been in the country about a hundred years or so. And he, she said, and my mother's family. Well, they're Pueblo Indians, and well, they've been here for twelve hundred years, right? Right. That whole kind of, if if your if your eyes and your ears and your heart isn't open, you can't know you. You'll never learn about stuff like that. Mm. I I
0: know you'd never. Would you ever run for political office, Harry? No, I don't know how. Would you? I would love <laughs> if there was a, an enlightened president who could find the right spot for you as like ambassador for America. Because you're such a great, like the head of tourism or the head of the head. Like if there was a, if there was a Nobel, you know, a a poet laureate, a national poet laureate for like appreciation of America. Like you've talked to more people and been to more places than frankly, I think any human that I know, any, any person that I know. And it's extraordinary to see the world through your eyes. But I have to ask you because we are in the classic car club and it's a question I ask of all people. Yeah, Yeah. You grew up in the Midwest. Right. Right. Yeah. In Indiana. Well, I was born in St. Margaret's Hospital in Hammond,
1: Indiana. We live right across the state line in Lansing, Illinois. It's about six-plus
0: miles straight
1: south of the city limits of Chicago.
0: And when you were growing up, Harry Smith, what was your first car? Well, my first car
1: was actually my mother's car. My mother had a 1964 Buick Wildcat Coupe, right? Nice. Wow. Really nice and uh, my senior year, I was allowed to take it to college. And uh, that was the car that I then uh, took away from me, uh, took away with, well, or rode away with uh, after I uh, graduated from college. And, um, but the first car.
0: What color was that car? The Wildcat?
1: It was a kind of a rose, rose and cream. Rose and cream? Uh, yeah. White cream top. Ah. Uh, you know, that cream, not a white. It was kind of a cream and a, and a rose color right
0: two door coupe nice very cool yeah no post right very cool very cool <laughs> rose is not a color you see on cars very often anymore
1: uh, that's the that's the color and, i would describe it as yeah, right yeah, i love it but that. then the next the first car i bought then after that was a uh a super beetle vw super beetle and um which was a volkswagen made the same car for many many years and then they made a super beetle which is a little heavier, a little bit bigger engine. Um, you know, you bought a Beetle, then you bought the book. It was this book that everybody kept under the front seat of their, uh, out of their Volkswagen, right? And it taught you how, because you could fix. There was a lot about a Volkswagen you could fix, right? So you could change your own plugs and, you know, change the oil and different, do different kinds of stuff like that. So it, you had that. You had that. Listen, I wasn't the guy, the classic guy that was driving around in the Volkswagen where you could see the ground underneath the floorboards because they were rusted out. You're a tall guy. You fit in a Volkswagen. I do. I did. I yeah. did. But there are a lot of cars. Like, there's, an, there's a, oh, my God. I wanted to buy a Lancia once. Wow. Way back in the day, I didn't fit. There were yeah. so many cars yeah. I don't fit How in. tall are you? Well,
0: I used six, to be four? a
1: little over 6'2". Six, 6'2"? Two. Six, two? But I don't, I'm not anymore. And
0: what, what color was the Volkswagen? Orange. Orange? Yeah. I'm so, so glad I asked. So, I would not have expected you to say orange. So, Arab oil embargo is going on,
1: and they lower the speed limits. Right? They lower the speed limits to 55 miles an hour. So, I'm driving on the interstate, way, way out in eastern Colorado, and I'm doing, I'm doing 75 easy in the Super Beetle. It's a Super Beetle. It's got a little bit better, bigger motor, right? And I get pulled over. So I have to go to a, a traffic court in Greeley, Colorado, which was then was was like a speck of a town. And so uh, I go in front of the judge and I said, uh, I don't think the law applies equally to everyone. This 55 mile an hour uh, speed limit, because this is aimed at gas guzzlers. I have a car that averages more than 28 miles to the gallon." So I don't know why I have to I have to abide by the same rules that everyone else does because I'm not violating the spirit of that law in the first place because I get such good gas mileage. Hmm. And the judge <laughs> looks at the assistant, you know, whoever is, you know, doing the thing. It's just say tell the guy to shut up and plead no contest. <laughs> get him out of here. <laughs> have you gotten a lot of speeding tickets across America? I have not, you know. I've been really circumspect. Uh, I've I've really toned it down over the years.
0: So is that a way of saying yes? You had gotten a lot of speeding tickets earlier I, in your life. I really you- got nailed once again in Eastern Colorado. <laughs> many, you said you've been to fifty states. How many states have you gotten speeding tickets? No, today? no, no. I'm
1: not David. I wasn't David Letterman. I was. I'm. I've been really, really good. i have like. I've been very good driving record and good insurance record. Uh, But I was, we're in a two-lane blacktop in eastern Colorado about four years ago. There's nothing out there. I mean, there's absolutely nothing out there. There's, it's part of the depopulation of America, which is its own other subject, which I could go on and on and on and on about rural America. But I was, yeah, I was, you know, I was probably in the nineties. It's an unmarked car coming from the other direction, you know, and as soon as, as soon as I went by, I said, ugh. Ugh, right. Rental car. Oh, yeah. Eastern Colorado. Out of state plates. Out, you know, all the above. Yep. Do you have registration for this? <laughs> like, it's a rental car. I don't know what, I don't know what gives here. But I'm nice. I'm like,
0: whatever Did you you know say. it was you? Did Are you, no, were, I you recognized? So. I don't think so. No? The, the younger generation so. of cops don't know you from their living room like the older generation do. No, it's, it's
1: that stopped a while ago.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you're- Harry, you're a guy that has, I think, tremendous joy and an appreciation for life. Um, I asked this of all of our guests, Harry Smith, what makes you happy?
1: You know, honestly, um, it's really small things. It's really, really small things. Tiny little microscopic acts of kindness are this. The, uh, here's what, uh, just as an example. So my typical mo in the morning is, we, I still get a physical New York Times, a physical paper, and I have a big old leather chair, which I have my books stacked up on, and you know, various periodicals and all that stuff, and crossword puzzles. And, yes. Yeah, it's just this cranky old stinky old man, right? And I'll go to For a learned, patient, wise old man, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll go to that chair in the morning. And if I haven't made the coffee, and if my wife comes around the corner with a cup of coffee, I'm just like, that makes me so happy. Because it's just a tiny, teeny, teeny, tiny thing. But somebody's like, I'm looking out for you, right? Yeah. I, I got your coffee. That's it doesn't take much for me, honestly. Yeah. It's little tiny things like that that I
0: just absolutely just
1: knock me up.
0: Knock me up. When you, Harry, when you when you look at this country and the state it's in right now, yeah, what what do you think? Are it's you not even... as
1: bad as uh, so. Please. I was in Oklahoma a couple of years ago, and uh, back to opioids again. And it's this it's well known attorney in the state whose son played for OU. Kid has this amazing senior year. He had a couple of injuries over time, and the parents were up to speed. They knew what was what. And they knew that he was. Uh, there were, he was prescribed opioids, you know, through some of these injuries. But they would see the bottle, and it was he never got to the bottom. It was like you know, they were they were they were up up to speed. They felt like they were up to speed. And he and his father make their annual trip to St. Louis to see the Cardinals play for a couple of games. They're staying in the same room, they go back to Oklahoma. Two days later, the kid ODs. And the parents have made it part of their mission to tell as many people who will listen. Do you die? Yeah. Yeah. About about their son. And the mom says, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But I'll talk to anybody. And, and it's excruciating for me. But I'll talk to anybody because if I can help one person understand what might be happening in their own, own home, that means everything to me. And I think quite honestly, I mean- I'll just say it. That's what we're actually about. We can get so caught up in, oh, I'm watching this channel. Oh, I'm watching this channel. This is my truth. That's your truth. That's that's day-to-day-to-day. That isn't what people live with every day. Day-to-day-to-day are the guys in Portsmouth, Ohio, who are building saying, screw it, we're going to rebuild this town, right? Day-to-day, there are the folks in Oklahoma who said, we lost something more important to us than any any amount of money, but we'll tell our story to anybody who will listen to it. That's that's who we actually are. The other stuff, it's real. It's real on on a, on, a, on a level, but it's not. It's not the. It's not the fabric of our daily lives. It's not really what the what the the currency of our lives on this planet are about. It's about you know, people chipping in to do X or chipping in to do Y or going to the PTA meeting or shoveling the neighbor's sidewalk. That's who we actually are.
0: Any, any it's related to that, Harry, because you have such an astute understanding. I think that gives people hope and maybe some comfort. Um, but most of all perspective, and that's been a through line in your career and, and in all your work. Um, just now that you 're at this point in your life where you are mentoring so many people and you're every time you talk you 're teaching
1: yeah
0: um, thoughts on you know you and your wife have it seems an extraordinary marriage you've both been so accomplished, you have kids you 're such a dedicated family person, any perspective on all of that, especially as we go into the holidays, any lessons learned or if there's a young man or woman who's earlier in their career or earlier in starting a family <laughs> any Counsel or well, perspective that you listen, can share?
1: All of that is remains a work in progress as far as I'm concerned, right? Uh, old, old friend of mine who was a clinical psychologist, you said, once told me, all relationships are at risk always, right? Don't take anything for granted. Wow. Um in terms of one of the things that I tell young people who I come in contact with, who either you know come in looking for advice or people I work with at, at NBC. Is you can't do enough homework. There's no such thing as enough homework. You just you need to you if if you are if you are an an actually curious person that is like hungry for information, not curious. Like I'm kind of a, I'm a bit curious. Um, that's a huge advantage because the more you learn, the better off you are, and especially for these in our world because so often. We get a tiny amount of time to tell a story, but if you understand as much about it as humanly possible, it's going to help you tell that story better. That's one of the things I say. The other thing is a lot of it has got to be about perseverance. Perseverance is there are, I'm lucky to still be around, but I didn't get my first, first steps without I kept knocking on doors I just kept knocking on doors not, I was a nuisance I was a complete nuisance you know now now I'm now I'm a legend right yes <laughs> but I was you were a grinder I, I and was a it, total, but to br- that point it's a you're, total you're the grinder. Only,
0: and, and you may be the, uh, the most experienced guest we've had on this show I don't, you know in, in technical terms, you may be the oldest. Yeah. which I think is, is, a, is a badge of honor and wisdom. I, we respect our elders. And I hate to, to classify you an elder, except <laughs> dude, in the most extraordinary way. I I'm do an think elder, dude. You're an elder. Yeah. You're, you're an oracle for this country. But you're also <laughs> the only guest who ever showed up with a notepad. Yeah. So you have an no, a old-school spiral notepad, like, yeah. a, like a reporter would have. Yeah. Can I ask you what's on it? No, no. So you brought uh, up
1: I wrote a couple of names down, because the two guys in, in Portsmouth are Tim Wolfe and Dale King. and I've neglected to name their names, but I was thinking about other stories that I have no idea where the the story, you know, our conversation was going to go. And just two weeks ago, we were in uh, Virginia and we're starting a new series where it's kind of a little bit of a pilot. We don't know if it's going to work for sure or not, but I worked with this wonderful producer named Caroline Gottlieb. And she had this idea of going to the Smithsonian, finding certain items and then matching the item to an actual human being, and so this particular story is a set of pajamas that one of the POWs brought back with him from Vietnam, because that's what they called them, pajamas. Pajamas. Yeah. And uh, so we found out who uh, whose pajamas they were. And we spent an afternoon with uh, Commander Al Carpenter, who spent six and a half years in a in prisons in Vietnam got shot down out of his fighter plane. Right? <laughs> Holy crap. Wow. Holy crap. I mean like in your life. Um I mean I so okay. I put the windshield wipers on here for a second. Cause this I get very emotional about this stuff. Yeah. Who I've had the most extraordinary life in terms of where I've been able to go and what I've been able to see. And there I am, you know, like two Tuesdays ago in this guy's house for the better part of the day. And he's talking about what happened to him. And he talked about how through the whole time that he was in prison, he, he would say, you would tell yourself, you'd make up these like ideas for yourself. Well, I'm going to get out by Christmas. I'm going to get out by Valentine's Day. I'm going to get out by Memorial Day. I'm going to get out, you know, and, and over time you realize this is really never going to happen. And he said, one of the hardest things for him, because as the war is winding down, he said, all of a sudden our food is better we're, we're the, with a bunch of other, more, more other, other prisoners and some of the guys who were hurt, they weren't the first ones in. They started to let those guys And The reality of getting out started to become, he refused to believe it was real. Mm. And he said, it wasn't until I was on the tarmac and there was these two Air Force cargo planes Motor's going, right? Props buzzing around. He says it was completely overwhelmed, completely overwhelmed. And he's telling the story. Tears are flowing down his face. And we're just, I'm just sitting there in silence, watching him. And he said, but the hardest part was then coming back was, he said it was hard, hard to let life in because he'd refused you, you had to, you, in order to stay strong, you knew it. it things weren't, it, it, it. truth was not available to you. Mm. The only truth was your captivity. And he said, over time, it melts away. But anyway, that I got to spend, you know, several hours with this guy, who's got a better job
0: than I do? Mm. And who does a better job of it than you? Nah. No, you've been uh, an incredible... Carrying stories requires such art and skill and heart and dedication and perseverance, but it's also heavy. And you carry the stories of so many people and you've shared them in such a powerful way that we are exceptionally grateful. All of us who are listening and who've been witness to your work are grateful. And since it is the holiday spirit, we do have some gifts. We have the giving of the gifts, which is a part of this show. How cool is um, that? Yes, and so in this bag, you have three gifts. And one of them is also a question. But first, you have some American-made, uh, angry Americans merch,
1: oh, look which at is this. made by veterans. Oh man!
0: Uh, outside of Chicago, right in Illinois. All right. So a little bit of a test of a, of a toast <laughs> to your home. It says angry. "Angry on it." Folks who are listening you can it. find those at AngryAmericans.us, made by Oscar Mike. I love it. We've got blue and, and uh, I think the other color oh, is that's like, cool steel. stuff. And then this before we get to the last piece, this is a, the last question I will ask of you. Peeps. Fully there are three colors: blue, yeah. yellow, pink. I've asked every guest, "What color do you choose and why?" I never eat one, but if you had to choose, which color
1: would you choose, Harry? Yellow. Why? Because it's the color of the chick.
0: There you go. Yeah. Excellent. Duh. And duh. And finally, uh, a very own, lovely yes, party for gift? you, American-made. Ten of years course. old. This is American-made whiskey. It's Man. Henry McKenna. Yeah. It's. Uh, each one is individually numbered, and each wow. one is an original, wow. an American original, as is Harry Smith. So we look for an inspiration in each bottle that we give to each gift. Right. Um, it's a hundred proof, by the way. And it's also a hundred proof, as my colleague Mercy Rich put it. You're a man at this point in your life. You, you know, there's no messing around. You can get straight to the point, and you can handle the powerful stuff. Yeah. Because every guest we've had is an important, iconic, and/or inspiring American, and that's truly what you are, my friend. And I'm very, very grateful for you. And I want you to know how much I appreciate your support for me and this venture in this next phase of my life, but just how much you do for this country. You really contribute a tremendous amount to the, the health and development and wisdom of this country. And, and I am extremely grateful for you. I
1: appreciate that very, very much, but I come here because I have respect for you. That's the, that's the whole, this is an actual quid pro quo. <laughs> it's a two way street, <laughs> Right. No, we I we've had there's some simpatico here. Yes. And we've shared uh some very strong feelings about things over the years. So when you said would I come? I said I'm there. Well, because okay. you answered the bell for us so many times over the years.
0: Well, America's a team game. And uh if Write you that one down. if if you were the coach of Michigan? Yeah. I would feel a lot more optimistic about Michigan's <laughs> prospects. So tough. That is so <laughs> and if you were president, no, no. I would feel oh, a, a lot. Of it. But you're, but you're a statesman for all of us, and no, you're a gentleman. I have
1: the job, I have the job I ha- I'm supposed to have.
0: There, there's yeah. real insight in yeah. that. Yeah. Did you know that all along?
1: <sighs> you know, there was an anniversary of when I first went on morning television. It was like 32 years ago or something. It Was sometime in November. And somebody sent me a note. And I remember when I first took the job, I'd been a correspondent for a couple of years for CBS. And I didn't have an agent. I didn't. They said, we want to put you on morning television. And I said, I don't want to be on morning television. I said, you're going to cancel this show after six months. Just let me go back and do my job. I just guarantee me I can go back and be a reporter. Because in, in the end of the day, that's all I ever really, really wanted to do. So right right now, it was. I was honestly this morning... I was talking to some people about some stories we were working on and I, says, I felt like I'm living my best life. Who gets to say that? Thoreau, I think, said most men live lives of quiet desperation. Not me, Bob. Not me. <laughs> Not,
0: me. Not me. Not you, my friend. Yeah. Thank you again for joining us. My we're pleasure. We're excited to watch the world Absolutely. through your eyes. my pleasure. Especially in the next couple of years. Ladies and gentlemen, the great and powerful <laughs> Harry Smith, a truly great American, live from the Classic Car Club in New York. Follow Harry Every day, every way. And if you're lucky enough to meet him online at some point, consider yourself blessed. He's a great American. Thank you, Harry. Broom, vroom. broom, vroom, vroom. In our interview, Harry Smith and I enjoyed a little piece of America to bring in the holidays. We had a taste of some Fort Hamilton whiskey. Fort Hamilton whiskey is an inspiring brand and important supporter of this show. Please check them out at forthamiltonwhiskey.com. If you don't know, in August of 1775, Alexander Hamilton's Heart of Oaks militia orchestrated a daring raid on Lower Manhattan, and under fire from the HMS Asia, they seized and repurposed the battery of British cannons, forming America's first artillery company. That's the spirit of revolution, and that's the spirit of Fort Hamilton Whiskey. Fort Hamilton Rye is a traditional Northeastern American-style rye, which has no corn in the mash. It's made purely with rye, malted barley, yeast, and water that gets a rich, full, and really robust flavor. And they barrel it at a low proof for a smoother profile that emphasizes the rye grain over the barrel. It's non-chill-filtered and aged and heavily charred New American white oak barrels on the Brooklyn waterfront. Pretty soon, you'll be able to check them out in a new facility down there. And as is tradition for Eastern rise, the warehouse is heated in winter to keep the aging process moving. This is how they did it in the revolutionary days. But Fort Hamilton whiskey is the first offering from Alex Clark Spirits, a Brooklyn-based company. While it's excellent, Straight or over ice. It's also the perfect companion for some cool handcrafted cocktails that you can find on their website. So go to forthamiltonwhiskey.com, check them out, find out where it's sold. If it's not near you, give the stores a call and ask them to ship it to you uh, or pick some up when you're in New York. And look for more titles soon. They have a new double barrel, which is a real hit and super good. And it's a damn good drink, especially around the holidays. It's good stuff. And like this show and like everything we do, it's made in America. The founders of this country, like George Washington and Alexander Hamilton, were the original angry Americans. And they're the spirit behind Fort Hamilton Whiskey. Check them out, forthamiltonwhiskey.com. All right, folks, this holiday season, it's time to turn that anger, sadness, inspiration, frustration, frustration, agony into positive impact let it be a gift this holiday season to yourself and to others it's time to be a helper always look for the helpers there
1: will always be helpers you know even just on the sidelines
0: because if you look for the helpers you'll know that there's hope now every show we come up with a way to convert your righteous understandable anger into positive action An action that shows that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans. An action that channels your energy, makes you feel good, and can make a difference. And like this show, our actions are always packed with the four I's of integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. Now, Harry Smith guided us through the traffic of these crowded times. And he told us a few stories, including the story of our National Poet Laureate, Joy Harjo.
1: In a darkened room in downtown Tulsa, a woman wails through a saxophone solo. Then, riffs through some word jazz. Joy Harjo is not shy about self-expression and is rarely at a loss for words. The phone rings one day and the Library of Congress says, you're the new poet laureate
0: and you thought what?
2: Lightning went through me. First thing is like, what a responsibility.
0: (laughs) Like Harry Smith, Joy Harjo is a guide into America's past and America's future, including some of the most painful parts, the bumpiest parts of our roads, the parts that we need to confront and understand so we can move forward. So my action this week is pretty straightforward. Learn about Joy Harjo hear her spoken words, but also read her work. Go to joyharjoe.com now, and you can see it. You can experience it. And check out An American Sunrise. It's a stunning new volume from our first ever Native American Poet Laureate of the United States. It was informed by her tribal history and her connection to the land, the land that we all share. Hear her words, read her words, share her words, And if you're looking for some work to reflect on and absorb this holiday season or work to share as a true gift, one of inspiration and impact, Joy Harjo has it. She's an angry American for all the right reasons. And she's a helper. And she's an oracle. And one we should all know, celebrate, and share, especially as we travel this road together through the holidays and beyond. If you look from the stars, you will see truly. You will see your breath, your breathing is clouds. You will see
2: the ancestor dreamers. The witness winds. They are watching this America.
0: And if you've got a story to tell or a resource to share, find us on social media and use the hashtag Angry Americans and let me know. Don't just be angry be active all right this episode's been another very cool and unpredictable journey and a few folks that helped navigate it a few folks that helped make this episode happen that i want to thank First off, Harry Smith, he's a gem, he's a gentleman, he's a mentor, he's a friend. He's been so generous with his time and his experience with me and with so many others. I really, really appreciate him and have been honored to have an opportunity to sit down with him. My deepest thanks to my friend, Harry Smith. Also, thanks to Mighty Mercy Rich, creative Chris Rosenthal, radical Roy Velchek, and the whole outstanding team at Righteous Media. They power this show and all the platforms and content around it. They're going to help us pull off the event next week with Mayor Pete and our events going forward. Big thanks to our friends at Fort Hamilton Whiskey, which I enjoyed with Harry uh, because he's a fan of rye. And our thanks to Bill Schultz. On this journey of this crazy podcast, he's been like a GPS for us, helping us navigate everything and coming out on the other side. My thanks to you, Bill. Thanks to Oscar Mike, our awesome merch partners. Check out all the designs at angryamericans.us now. As a reminder, if you order it now, you'll get it in time for Christmas and get free shipping over 60 bucks. And it's time for Thank a Listener. Kind of a little holiday present waiting for you every single week we open the little doors like an advent calendar and I tell you about a few angry Americans that I like to thank for listening
2: I'll make you famous
0: and yes I'll make you famous we have a call in number you should try it 833-33-ANGRY that's 833-33-ANGRY call leave me a voicemail give me a little gift and tell me what's got you angry and maybe we'll use it on a future show seriously do it do it do it call and get your chance to sound off and my thanks to a few folks this episode in particular first off sandy whitlift sandy whitlift is in mcgregor texas and sandy has one of the coolest twitter handles i've heard in a long time at big dog K9 mutt that's sandy's twitter handle and on sandy's twitter handle there's a photo of a dog a german shepherd that looks a lot like conan the special operations dog and sandy's bio a dog trainer and behaviorist in the central texas area positive reinforcement only which i like and will definitely support and sandy tweeted just found angry americans i have followed you for years working my way through all the podcasts and sandy tweeted just got down with the podcast with tom colicchio really great did not know all of that about him love it when you had him talking about his dog piper made me smile Now, that is a favorite episode for many. It was an early episode, so if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to Tom Colicchio, the great chef and activist and a great American success story and entrepreneur. It's episode eight. We also talk about Trump pardoning war criminals, the politics of food, Memorial Day, and you can learn what the great chef Tom Colicchio feeds his dog, Piper. It may surprise you. My thanks to you, Sandy, and my thanks to Tom Colicchio. Next, thanks to Zella Brown Tisdale a relatively new supporter of this show, who tweets at at zeme 1013 And Zella, I don't know where you're from, and you don't have a Twitter bio, but I love hearing from you, and you have a strong voice and a photo of what I assume is you with a great leopard print top. And you wrote, I'm an angry American, and I just signed up to join the movement with three exclamation marks. So big thanks to Zella Brown Tisdale. Appreciate your support. And next up, Rob Roy Fitzgerald from Los Angeles, California. Rob tweets at RobKim41. Rob Rob is an actor, writer, producer of two awesome boys, Ms. Secretly followed by and following everyone you know. This, This is a pretty interesting dude. H. Rob Roy Fitzgerald was born in Oxnard, California. He is an actor and writer, and he's known for being in Three Days to Kill. He was in Thelma and Louise and Can't Hardly Wait in 1998. He also played football for the University of Missouri, which is, I checked, 6-6 this year near the bottom of the SEC East. Not that great, but noteworthy that Rob Roy played at University of Missouri. Now, Rob Roy heard episode 34 with Aaron Mankin, which has been one of our biggest yet. And he tweeted, inspirational, needed to hear this. Happy Thanksgiving, hashtag Wounded Warriors, Aaron Mankin. That episode 34, it's episode 34 with Aaron Mankin, has been a massive hit. And people really, really enjoyed it. And I'm so grateful that so many of you have checked it out. If you haven't, go back and check it out and share it. Also, episode 32 with Bob Woodruff and episode 33 with Medal of Honor recipient David Bellavia have all been huge. The entire Veterans Month series we did was huge. Uh, and we're really grateful to those guys for joining us and for all of you who've checked out the episodes and share them. Veterans Month was huge. But more than all that, you all are huge. So thank you all for your feedback. Thank you for your support. Keep it
2: coming.
0: Keep that feedback coming. Use the hashtag Angry Americans and sound off. I am grateful to all of you. I love it, I want some more of it. And as always, thanks to my family, my amazing wife, and my two little boys. We had an awesome Thanksgiving at my brother's house. My brother and his wife and family did an amazing job of hosting us and. We got up in the mountains. A friend of ours has a house in the Catskills. We got off the radar, and we were up in the mountains for a massive snowfall. We woke up to about a foot of snow. It was cool for a number of reasons. We got to do some sledding. It had a wood-burning stove. But it was especially cool because it was our nine-month-old baby's first ever snowfall. And I am so grateful to be able to watch him experience snow for the first time. And we saw some awesome stars like you could only see in the mountains in the wintertime. Clear, crisp, so cool. And my four-year-old and I made a special adventure. We got out on the road and went to Accord Speedway, which sounds like this. Yes, that's audio of Accord Speedway. This was the best kind of road trip. My little guy and I got in the truck and drove until we found this really local, really American short track dirt speedway. There was no sign of Lightning McQueen, but it was an awesome day of purely American local racing. They have an annual event called the Gobbler and you haven't seen racing until you've signed a waiver and had the dirt fly off the track into your face. That's what we experienced. My son loved it. So my thanks to everyone at Accord Speedway for being awesome and to all the other folks that are doing short track and local tracks all around the country. It's really inspiring stuff and and really cool to witness. And finally, as always, my deepest thanks to you, dear listener, for tuning in. Please continue to tell your friends to check this podcast out. And if you're on an Apple device, leave the show a quick review. It only takes a minute. It doesn't cost you anything. And subscribe now. Tell your friends to subscribe. And you can have it hot and fresh waiting for you every Thursday morning. We try to get it up at zero dark 30. That's about 03.01 Eastern time, which would be about midnight for you West Coasters. And just in time for your Thursday commute to work. If it's late, my bad, hang in there. We'll try our best to always get it up early Thursday, all holiday season long. We're going to do a show the day after Christmas where we'll be running all the way through the holidays with some really cool guests. And Wednesday nights, check out our social media for guest the guest and a hint on who it is. You can guess the guest and win some very cool Angry Americans goodies. And definitely keep the feedback coming on social media. I see you, I hear you, and I'm with you. And next week, there's no guessing to be done. We'll be back with a fresh new show. Our very special guest, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Mayor Pete Buttigieg is going to be on Angry Americans. so tell your friends to subscribe now right after you finish listening to this. Hit the share button and text it to five of your friends. Five of your friends. Why five? It's my son's favorite number, at least this week. But share it with five people. Share the show. Hook them up. Tell them to join us next week for Mayor Pete and for all the shows going forward. And if you want to join us in person for that interview... Go to angryamericans.us. You can find out information about how to get tickets. We will have some good food, some good drinks, an open bar, and some very cool people who share the same values and interests that you do. It's part of bringing this community of the show to life and folks that share the same commitment to the future of our country that you do. We're going to be there. We're going to have a great time, have a great conversation, and a great way to bring out the holidays. So go to angryamericans.us if you want tickets uh, and send them to folks in the area if you can't make it yourself. And until then... Stay tuned, subscribe for free, and share, and we'll keep this movement growing week by week. And of course, remember, it's okay to be angry. You're not alone. We're all a little angry, but that's because we're paying attention. And together, we can turn that vigilant anger into positive impact. And we can do it this holiday season on the streets, the highways, and the roads from Alaska to Washington to Texas to Michigan to Maine to Florida, to Hawaii, and Puerto Rico, and everywhere in between. It's a beautiful country we live in, and this holiday season, I hope you can get out there and see a bit more of it. Get out there on that Holiday Road. 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 I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for riding with us. Thanks for listening. And stay vigilant, America.